Welcome to the Brew Files from Experimental Brewing, our quick hit series where we focus on fundamental aspects of brewing, including styles, techniques, and recipes. More brew, more flavor, more stories, less time, less ukulele. In this episode, I love cream ales. I love cream ales so much that the second episode of this program was all about cream ales. Now, 108 episodes later, it's time to add some new flair to the cream ale using malt. Not just barley malt. Now we're actually adding malted corn, which I just have never had a chance to play with until now. I'm sitting down with Kayla Mashaki of Sugar Creek Malting to talk why we'd want to use malted corn before tasting an example brewed by Ryan Creech, the host of A Pint With. And don't forget, we're right around the corner from episode 144 of the main program, which means we need your questions. So get your questions into podcast at experimentalbrew.com. But first, a message from our sponsors. The Pro Series Hydrometers from Brewing America will help you help your beer. These American-made NIST traceable hydrometers are accurate, easy to read, and the kits come with a cleaning brush and cloth and a borosilicate test flask that uses half the sample size of most flasks. That means less beer for testing and more beer for you. Brewing America is a small, family-owned business of husband and wife veterans. So when you buy a Brewing America hydrometer, you're not only getting a great piece of equipment, you're supporting the people who support America. Brewing America hydrometers are available on Amazon or at www.brewingamerica.com. The Seltzer Sensation is here, and our friends at Mangrove Jacks have specifically formulated their newest craft series yeast for making home-brewed hard seltzer. The Mangrove Jacks hard seltzer yeast and nutrient produces a clean, neutral flavor and aroma profile, allowing you to get creative with your hard seltzer recipe. Homebrewers can use this blend of yeast and nutrient in their own seltzer recipes, or choose from one of the new Mangrove Jacks hard seltzer recipe kits, which are formulated to make up to five gallons of refreshing 4.5% seltzer. The kits come in three thirst-quenching varieties, Raspberry Breeze, Lemon and Lime Smash, and Pineapple Sunset. All right, welcome back, everybody, and thank you for sticking around for those uh, ads. Remember, as always, if you talk to any of our suppliers, anybody who actually puts an advertisement, put some money towards this podcast, tell them that they're doing a good thing. You guys will know that, as I said in the intro, I'm obsessed with the idea of cream ales. I am obsessed with the idea of making lots of good, different, sort of very drinkable beers. And in cream ales and American, you know, North American industrial lagers, we have a lot of use of corn. But now, Generally, for the most part, most homebrewers are just going to sit there and grab some flaked corn from their homebrew shop, throw it in the bucket, and go. And maybe if you're obsessive, you'll even go and start with corn grits and do it the old-fashioned proper way. But there's a third way, and that's part of the reason why we're having this discussion today. So who do I have on the line? Ryan, you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, I'm Ryan Creech from St. Louis, Missouri. I'm a homebrewer and do the video cast of Pint With and the St. Louis Happy Hour. And it was fun to get the chance to be here with you, Drew. And Caleb. Yeah, I'm Caleb Bashaki, uh, the uh, co-owner and founder of Sugar Creek Malt in Indianapolis, Indiana. Um, 
Yeah, so we're uh, make make a bunch of different base malts and malted corn, and so that's why we're here. So and so that's the reason why I got excited because again, I make a stupid amount of cream ale every every year because it's my favorite thing to drink when I'm not really wanting to think too hard about it. But malted corn just really kind of uh, stood out as something I'd never tried. So I was like, oh, I'm super excited to try this. So before we get into the malted corn, Caleb. Tell people about Sugar Creek. You're in Indianapolis. How did you get started making malt? Yeah, so we're um, about 35 minutes north of Indianapolis in Lebanon, Indiana. Um, about if you're ever driving through Indiana, we're about two miles off of, of State Road 65, so it's pretty easy easy to get to. Um, I grew up on a farm. I'm a uh, fourth generation farmer. Um, and uh, my dad raised corn and soybeans growing up and raised hogs. Um, and uh, I really was never too interested in, in the farming that that he had done. Um, but through college and, and, and out of college, I got into home brewing and in craft beer and um, thought about maybe one day opening up a brewery. Um, but I, I didn't have as much experience as I, as I needed to to do that. But I did have a lot of farming experience and, and an ag background, and, and we had the equipment to, to grow grain. And so I talked to my dad, came back to the farm and talked to my dad and said, hey, you know, we're... I'm wanting to come back to the farm, but I'm wanting to do something a little different with the farm. And, you know, I told him I wanted to malt, and he didn't really have any idea what that even was. So this was back in 2014. And at that point, really, the craft malting industry was a very, very small industry and was just taking off. And really, there wasn't a whole lot of information on how to malt or anything like that. And we went to our, you know, to Purdue, which is our local ag school um, in Indiana, and, um, and really nobody there really didn't even know how to grow barley or what varieties to even grow. So from the beginning, we had to do all of our own research as far as, as what varieties will grow in Indiana well. Um, we had to design and build all of our all of our equipment. And everything has been, you know, a learning and, and growing curve from the beginning. So in 20, spring of 2015, we started making base malts. We make everything from Pilsner up to, you know, Munich's in our, in our kiln. In 2016, we started doing cold smoked malts, uh, and then the year after that, we started kind of experimenting with with unique grains. Um, one of the first things we did was malted corn. Um, we got some of, our, of the yellow corn that we grew on our farm and, and wanted to malt it, um, and so that was the first year that we did it was 2017, and it went all into two different beers, um, one IPA that was made by uh, Three Floyds, and then another one was the uh, uh, 100% malted corn grisette. Um, that was made by Cruz Blanca. And then we've, we've done other things like buckwheat and triticale and spelt and, you know, all kinds of einkorn, things like that. We built a roaster in 2018 and started doing crystal malts, chocolate malts. And then in 2019, we built a, a Norwegian Swinehus, which we're making traditional old world style uh, smoke malts and wind malts. And then most recently, we just came out with a, a 100-year-old Czech variety that we're, make, that, we're, that we're selling to people that are using it for decoctions, uh, decoction brewing. So that's kind of the timeline of, of kind of where we started to where we are now. Okay, I want to point out one thing that I think is absolutely hysterical. You, you'd, you'd opened up your biography by saying that, you know, you're getting into craft beer and you thought about hey, you know, opening a brewery, but you didn't know enough in order to open a brewery. And so instead of doing that, you launched yourself full full force into something that you that most people know even less about. Yeah, I mean that's the that was the that was the crazy thing is I mean literally there weren't any even books that you could go out and really and learn. There was one book that was written in nineteen sixties or seventies and that was really the only book that you could go. But um but you know like I said I, I had I had at least the farm background. We had the ag background 
even though we hadn't grown barley before, we at least knew, you know, the, the, the principles of it. And malting just kind of called to me. I looked into hops and, and they really weren't, they weren't uh, something that I could take and, 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 and put art and science and all that kind of stuff into to make all these crazy new, new unique flavors. And, but the malt, you could. I could take one grain and I could make it into 100 different flavors from that one, from that one uh, field. So it was just kind of, a, kind of something that really just stuck out to me. And, and we've just been, you know, working at it ever since. You get to still play around, and and actually, in some ways, thinking historically, that makes a lot of sense since it used to be breweries and malteries were attached to each other. You know, brewing had its own maltings, and so yeah, th- there's a little bit more of a playfulness. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's it always keeps me interested. We're always pushing the limits as far as what we think malt is, and um, and that's kind of you know what we've become you know, someone known for is just having very unique and very out there uh, malts that taste great. So uh, and now, of course, that you said the there was a grisette made with a 100% malted corn, I go, ooh, I got to make me one of those. That sounds good. Yeah, it turns out great. He, uh, at Jacob Sobrano is the brewer there. He he actually uh, grows up some uh, lactobacillus. He swabs it off. He gets it off the corn itself, um, grows that up and, and sours it with that. Um, and it turns out, yeah, great every year. He's done it three or four years now, I think, in a row. So Nice. So let's dig into the malted corn then. You know, I'm used to thinking, you know, again, as I've mentioned before, making corn grits or using flaked corn. The corn that you're using for the malting, I mean, is this corn that we would recognize as consumers or is this... Or is this a different variety of corn? So, like I said, we first the first time we malted it, it was just regular, you know, yellow dent number two corn, you know, the the, mm-hmm. the, the, the common corn that you see growing out in fields. Um, since then, we've we've uh, malted quite a few different varieties. We've malted a couple different blue varieties, a couple different red varieties, um, a few different white varieties, um, and one that was like a mixed color. It was a red, a red, a yellow, white, and uh, yeah, basically those three colors. That's called Amanda Palmer. But this, we've kind of settled on uh, three varieties as of right now. Um, right now, we're, we're malting Bloody Butcher, um, which is a, a very dark uh, burgundy color, red corn. Oaxacan Green, uh, which is a Mexican variety that's a very dark green, almost almost turquoise blue color. And then Boone County White, which is a, a white corn that was actually bred about 10 miles down the road from us in the 1870s. Um, and uh, was a very popular corn at the turn of the century, and, and uh, we wanted to kind of bring that, that variety back into, into uh, production, too. When you're looking at those three different varieties, I mean, do you have the three different varieties because of color differentiation, or do you really get a different flavor out the backside of the brewing process from those you three? You know, I think there's flavor differences. No, I've never had I, – I'd love for somebody to do, like, you know, the same beer with three different corns and do them mm-hmm. the exact same way and see see the difference. Because, you know, I've had beers from all the different corns, but they're all in different beers, different styles, different breweries, and so it's kind of hard to really – really nail that down but um but yeah i think the 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 bloody butcher i get more of a fruity character the oaxacan green is more of like a like a like a corn tortilla you know like a like a mexican corn tortilla kind of flavor and then the the white is a cleaner more like american like a yellow corn almost in flavor so they definitely have different you know very subtle nuances but you know how much you're going to be able to tell those through in a finished beer if you don't have them side by side i don't know the bloody butcher does does give in in larger quantities it does give a, a red hue to the to the beer so that's kind of cool for for some styles of beers but but yeah 
overall, it just was. Uh, I, I'm wanting to bring back historic varieties, and those those ones kind of jumped out to me. Well, and this is very cool as an adjunct to the talk that I just did with Chris Maltings a couple weeks back about their heritage malt series, where they're bringing back like Hana from yeah the 1830s and and that sort of thing. It's kind of cool to see people bringing that stuff back. So we've got floral. We've got toasted corn, like a tortilla, and then more like a sweet corn, even though I'm guessing you'd said again, uh, dent corn, and none of these varieties look anything like what I think most Americans think of as like sweet corn that you go and buy at the grocery store and eat off the cob, right? Oh, yeah. No, not at all. The yeah. the, the Bloody Butcher and the Boone County White, or the, the stalks are about 15 feet tall. They're huge, huge stalks. It's like you're walking in a bamboo forest if you walk through the fields, and the ears on them are... Um, about 12 to 14 inches long. They're just massive ears. Um, the Oaxacan green is the opposite. It's just tiny. It, it looks like growing in the field, it looks more like sweet corn. It's a very short uh, stalk. The ears are, you know, about the size of a sweet corn, but instead of, you know, yellow, it's these, this really bright green, uh, dark green color, bright to dark green color. So we got the flavor differences and, of course, the, the coolness of the heritage varieties and bringing back some, some different flavors back into the field. But looking at it from a, a brewer's perspective, why do I want to reach for malted corn as opposed to, say, flaked corn or uh, grits? Yeah, so for malted corn, it's, uh, it's obviously a completely different flavor. Um, you know, if you're talking about flaked corn and, and malted corn, let's compare flaked barley to malted barley. Um, you know, the flavor difference is, is completely different. Um, the efficiency is completely different. During that malting process, it, it breaks down everything um, a lot better, a lot more efficiently than, than steaming it does, which is what you do for flake corn. Um, so it's an easier grain to work with. Um, and then obviously using raw corn or grits, like we were talking about, that those ones you'd have to do a cereal mash. With malted corn, you don't have to do a cereal mash. You can just you can do a single infusion with it. Um, and it uh, has, a, has a very nice, toasty kind of malt flavor because it's going through the malting process. Well, and as you hinted at earlier with the 100% grisette, then it sounds like it actually has enough enzymatic power to it to actually self-convert. It does. It's more like malted oats. If you're going to do like 100% malted oat beer, you're going to get about, if you're going to do 100% of it, you're going to be in the 60s to maybe 70s percent efficiency-wise. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely doable. I've had people do it, um, and, and the beer turns out great. Give it a little more time and a little more agitation. Yeah, <laughs> and <a> exactly. Little <laughs> and a lot of rice hulls because there's no, no, uh, no husk material for filtration. So. Oh yeah, you're right. Which, which is a huge difference from malted oats. Malted oats at least has the big advantage of a ton of husk material. Definitely buy, buy a bag of, uh, of rice hulls when you're going to do it. So when we talk about corn and American brewing as well, you know, there's always that fable rumor tale about brewers using it because it was cheaper but uh, as i've discussed on the show before brewers really started to use corn and rice here in america to kind of cut down the protein levels from the barley that we had and make the beer you know clearer and less harsh with malted corn i'm assuming we still carry across that same sort of property where you know it's not as proteinaceous so you can get more crispness out the backside yeah exactly i mean it, it's you know, it's, it's going to be a similar process as, as far as flaking it. You know, flaking, you're gelatinizing all the starches and malting. Um, you know, we're waking up the enzymes to break down to break down the proteins and the starches and things like that. So it actually finishes out, I think, even a little bit cleaner um, than, than just using, like, flake corn um, because it's, it's, just, it's just broken down uh, a, a bit more in that process. It's fairly safe to say, or my rule of thumb, I should say, is whenever you're dealing with an ingredient – the less process you can get it closer to you, you know, generally the better it's going to be in the long run. 
Because I mean, every time you touch something, you know, you induce, induce oxidative damage, you know, different things change. So if you can handle the process later, so like getting that full gelatinization down the line, I think, I think you'll end up with a fresher tasting product as well. Yeah. Let me ask when you're in the process of malting this, right? I mean, like I kind of have my head picturing, you know, how the malting process works with barley where, you know, it's steeped, allow it to germinate, turn it over, you know, and then, you know, dry it, uh, you know, to stop the conversion. Is the malting process for corn different or is it really just kind of the same and no husk? No, I mean, it's definitely different. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, it's the same thing. We're getting it wet, we're growing it, and we're drying it down. But um, with corn, it, uh, it, it requires a lot more moisture um, and a lot more heat. So um, it's uh, it's about twice as long of a process to malt corn as it is to malt barley for us. Uh, and we have to uh, germinate at a much higher temperature to really get it to, to grow and, and, con- and convert. Uh, you know, what's if you think about its its origins, it's a tropical plant uh, in, in the beginning, and um, it, to really get it to, to modify and, and to malt well, um, it needs heat. So yeah, instead of and we we hand turn all of our grain, um, um, so we go in there with pitchforks and turn it. So instead of raking in, you know, fifty eight to sixty degree wet temperatures that we do with barley, which is you know doable uh, with malt, the corn we're looking at seventy five to maybe even eighty degree temperatures and ninety five percent humidity. So it's a bear to go in and, and rake uh, corn when we're malting. It sounds like a much sweatier environment to be in. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> oh, that makes me wonder. Then could you? It- could you, in theory, do a a crystal corn malt? I have, yeah, I've done that. Okay. Yep. We've we've had a few different breweries make uh, cream ales with that before, and I've done a chocolate corn also. Well, you got a roaster now, so you got you might as well play with it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, any any specialty grain that we do, we usually do a run of crystal and chocolate with it. And that chocolate that chocolate corn is delicious, by the way. Oh, did you get some of that? Yeah, I, I tasted some when I was there. Oh, did you? I can't remember. Oh no, that was yeah. the crystal corn that you had. That was the crystal. Oh, okay. It was delicious. And for listeners who aren't aren't privy to all the planning that went on behind this talk, uh, Ryan drove up to Michigan. I think went over the Thanksgiving holiday and dropped off beer while visiting Sugar Creek. So you got to you got a chance to actually see all of it. I did. And it was a really really neat thing and seeing all the the building that he had done and especially incorporating some of the old world techniques uh, like the Scandinavian floor malted kiln with the wood fire with the as also the wind kiln was really neat to see because i hadn't seen something like that before and i think this is one of the things i like about craft malting and because it reminds me a lot of the earlier days of craft beer where you have a lot of interesting things happening both in terms of resurrection of old techniques old varieties but also people being very idiosyncratic and seeing how that impacts their individual product. I mean, I think like you could try to remember in terms of malted corn, who else is out there? I know Epiphany is doing a malted corn from time to time. Yeah. Epiphany and Riverbend do, um, I think both do bloody butcher. I'm pretty sure. Um, I know, uh, they used to, I'm not sure if they still do, but deer Creek up in Pennsylvania, they have done some, and I, and I believe Andrea Stanley over at uh, Valley malt has does some malted corn. Uh, I mean, she's pretty. She's pretty much led the way for most craft maltsters, I think. Yeah, they, uh, the, the uh, Colorado malting out in Colorado, and then Riverbend and and, and Valley Malt really were the the three main pioneers as far as craft malting goes. With the uh, the corn malt here, my brain obviously goes to cream ale because that's me. Also goes to the North American industrial lagers, so your Budweisers and uh, Bush beer actually, you know, not Budweiser. 
uh, and Coors and all that. And you had mentioned a grisette. Any other places where brewers should think about using something like malted corn? Yeah, I've had brewers use it. I mean, just like what you said, uh, cream ales, lagers are, are the main two that we that we sell it for. Um, and then and then saisons, grisettes, um, it works well in those. Um, and then I actually just had a beer that turned out great. Uh, it was a hazy IPA with with malted corn as as the uh, as the protein in it, kind of thing. So I mean, it's not a high protein corn, but um, you know, you use enough of it, and it's you know, it's not as modified as barley is. So it's it's going to use it's going to leave some of that um, some of that character, and it turned out it turned out great. So um, yeah, I've had it in everything now. And, and then the IPA, the original beer that we made it with was with Three Floyd's Corn King IPA. Um, and yeah, that was the first, first beer that I actually had with our malted corn, or that was brewed with our malted corn. So, um, it's really kind of anything you want to throw it in, it, 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 it adds, you know, some unique character and, and unique flavor. As we've seen over the course of brewing history, uh, both here in America and in the UK in particular, uh, corn is a, a versatile ingredient for brewers. You just have to be aware what it will do. And it sounds a little bit like malted corn, leaves a little bit more in the finish than say a flaked corn or corn grits, you know, which, you know, tends to kind of run out to sort of a sweet flavor in the, in the finish, but nothing really left behind. Uh, it sounds like we, we may get a little bit more residual character from the malted corn than we do from those other two products. Yeah. I would definitely say flavor wise, you're going to get more just because it goes through that toasting process in the kiln. Um, so, you know, you get, you definitely get a, a, a different flavor than using grits or, or flaked corn. Sounds good to me. Now, Ryan, since you brewed with us and you actually uh, dropped both of us off some beers, although uh, uh, Caleb can't have any right now because he's driving. <laughs> uh, when you brewed with the uh, malted corn, I think you used the the white in this, right? The Boone, uh, the Boone County? Yes. What was your experience with it and what adjustments did you have to make, if any? So I didn't make any adjustments really except for some water adjustments uh, to make it a little bit more malty because... Uh, our water here in St. Louis is very calcium deficient, so I have to add in some calcium chloride to pop that up. Right, and, and, oh, and to make it clear to people, I mean, you kind of started with a, a variation on my Jenny recipe. No, this is actually your Jenny recipe, but the only difference is was uh, I used six row instead of two row, and I didn't have Willamette, so I used some Michigan grown hops called Wild Wolf. Which is similar, a little, which is kind of similar to Willamette. So it was pretty much the little Jenny recipe down to the T, except for those two little changes. Good old, good old little Jenny, and uh, but no, no changes in terms of the fact that now you had an extra protein source or actually even extra enzymes. You just let it rip, right? Yeah, and I did a so my mash that particular beer. I let it go to, uh, I let that thing ride out for seventy five minutes in the mash. Um, Compared to sixty minutes, uh, I can't remember if it was because I got involved with the with chasing the toddler around for fifteen more minutes or what. Uh, but I I held it the mash at one fifty to one fifty two the entire time, and my actual efficiency. So my system usually operates between eighty and eighty three percent efficiency. But with this malted corn compared to doing a cream ale in the past with flaked corn, it actually jumped the efficiency up to almost ninety percent. Now, Caleb, is that normal that the brewers might see a, a rise in efficiency if they're throwing malted corn in place of flaked corn? Yes, if you're using malted barley with it, those enzymes will go and, and, and convert the rest of the corn that that you know isn't there. So a little bit, of, a little bit of an added advantage. You might actually get a couple more uh, more gravity points with this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Corn, 
corn by itself malted, you'll get about, like I said, about 65 to 75% efficiency. But if you're adding in malted barley, then then those enzymes will then go and work on the corn also. So yeah, you'll, you'll see a bump, bump in that quite a bit. And I use the six row over the two row. So yeah, so you just dropped every enzyme in there. Yeah, exactly. And uh, it, yeah, I, I was shocked to the point where this was originally supposed to be a five and a half gallon batch. It ended up being a six and a half gallon batch because I had water in there just so I could hit the starting gravity and not have it compl- just like an imperial. You didn't want to make ale. a super cream ale? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want an imperial. I wanted something, you know, because it dried out too. So. But yeah, that was the, the so it was uh, your recipe seventy six percent six row and twenty four percent of that malted corn, and it really, really converted really really good. Like I said, I hit almost ninety percent efficiency uh, to where I had to add almost a gallon of water just to hit the starting gravity of ten forty eight, ten forty nine, or twelve Plato, and. And it fermented really clean. Like I was getting a little worried because I only went 12 days in the primary and then I moved it uh, to secondary to clean up and drop out and to get some uh, conditioning on it for about 14 days. Well, and then remind me again, which yeast did you use? Because I've used a bevy of them. I used the Chico. So this this one was the Omega West Coast Ale 1. Because uh, that's what I had on hand. I don't know. Do you do you have a uh, a bottle of it in front of you? I, I have a have it in my glass actually. All right. Well, then let's get to tasting. Because what's the point of having a beer if you can't actually talk about it? Exactly. There we go. So and the attenuation on this sucker was actually almost ninety percent too, because it dropped down to ten oh five specific gravity. So it, it dried it out, which I like. My cream ale is kind of dried out. If they're too sweet, then they 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 don't. They don't drink as well. Right. So that we were looking at, what was that? 1.3 Play-Doh for those that like Play-Doh. <laughs> there's, always those say that, they, there's always those that love dealing with Play-Doh. I have to say one of the first things about it is, wow, this throws a, a lovely white head. Yeah, I really was surprised by the, uh, the white head that has. And then there's it also has that nice lacing going down the glass, too. Mm. This has a deeper corn aroma to it, I think, than... Than you normally get with the the flake, and I think that goes to Caleb's point about the toastiness. Yeah, I really enjoy. I actually it kind of converted me to not using flaked again, but spending the money and getting the malted corn for quarter adjuncts because I really enjoy this beer. It's crushable, in my opinion, really really good, and I think it's really the quintessential cream ale, in my opinion, of using the malted corn versus the flaked corn or the grits. One because of the efficiency, and two. Even using six row, which I would have thought would came out, I, I was thinking this beer was going to come out a little too grainy mm-hmm. using the six row and the multicorn, corn, but it really didn't. It definitely has a little bit of that six row flavor, that a uh, little bit of that extra husk uh, type flavor, which gives always a, like a little bit of a stringency to most things I, I have six row in. But I think that does get balanced up against that nice sweet corniness. That even though I say sweet, it's not sugar. It's just a nice kind of more neutral corn flavor, but still. It's there. It's it's got a little bit of the toastiness to it, but not like a tortilla chip, like what Caleb was talking about with the walking. Right. And one of the things about using the flake corn that I found in the past is when you use a, a high percentage of flake corn, some people misconceive it as being DMS in there. And this being twenty four percent, I don't pick up any of those characteristics at all compared to a flaked corn. 
I get what you're talking about because there is there is a tiny amount of vegetal to this, mm-hmm. but it's not it's not like the vegetal sulfurous thing that I think people get with cream corn. Again, you said the start of that 1048, 1049, because you had to water it down in order to get there. Yep. And what, remind me again, what was the final gravity? Uh, this finished out at 1005. Wow. That explains why it's so dry. So, yeah. One, one, yeah. So, yeah. 1.2 Play-Doh for those Play-Doh people. And then kegged and, and no, bottled bottle conditioned. Vegan, no, bottle conditioner. That's right, because you used, uh, what, the new Northern Brewer Fast Prime. Yeah. Right? So, this is kind of fun little little experiment using that malted corn. And then I got some of that, the fast pitch from Northern Brewer, the canned. No, no fast prime. Fast prime. Fast prime. The, the canned priming solution for bottling. So I use that in this too, which is, they calculate it to be 2.5 volumes of carb, which. Seems about right. And I just wanted to really play with it. And I was like, well, this is the time to use it. So I used it, you know, just sanitize the can and just dump it in the bottling bucket and bottle up. And. At 10.05, it took a little bit longer to carbonate as well. You know, additionally, I mean, we dropped down to 10.05, so dried it out a little bit. But yeah, and I hit gelatin in the secondary about two days before I bottled it up too, so. Okay, so you'd kind of remove some of your yeast ahead of time as well. Yep. But no, I mean, this has a a fine, tight little uh, bubble stream going on. Of course, I'm, I'm poured it into my uh, Brewing America uh, muffin top glass with the etching on the bottom. <laughs> uh, shout out! Uh, shout out to one of my sponsors. Yeah, you're right. Though. It's got a real nice, tight white lacing, and man, it's just damn drinkable. Yeah, I'm definitely going to be making this one again. I'm definitely going to be getting some more of that malted corn from Caleb and, and playing with it. And I'm, you know, we we're talking about doing the different corns and doing side by side by side with them. I'm very interested in, in getting uh, those different v- varieties and doing that all the same recipe, but just changing the corn out. Well, and I think the Scream Ale would be a perfect example where you could do that. Yeah, I agree. Because it's got enough interesting going on with it that that you can drink a lot of it, but not so much that it will cover up the more subtle differences between the corn. Yeah, I really like the fact that the corn is there. It's present. It doesn't throw off that DMS that I'm used to uh, hearing people talk about with flaked corn or even cereal mash with grits. I, I'm not getting, I'm getting that vegetable, but I'm not getting that buttered popcorn-y, DMS that some people hate about cream ales because, you know, I, I grew up in Michigan too. So I'm in, I like cream ales growing up in, uh, you know, Little Kings. I was going to say, you're, you're, little, yeah, you're Little Kings territory up in Michigan. Yeah, Little Kings, Genesee. I mean, those were kind of the standards for the cream ales. And so I never really brewed cream ales very often in the 13 years I've been brewing because it's like, I'll just go get a Jenny. I'll just go get a Little mm-hmm. Kings. I mean, there's, I'm not going to mess with that. I mean, and, and then the other beer I have next to it is a beer that uses 30% flaked corn. And a lot of people I've talked to refer to it as being very DMS forward, but he uses 30% of the grain bill is the flaked corn. Um, but also to stress, DMS is not a malt character. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, no, the SMMs provided the SMMs provided by the malt. I think a lot of people just get very confused and when they when they mean sweet vegetable corn with sulfur. Yeah, they they say DMS as opposed to like looking at it as a combination of, you know, what you're getting from the ingredients and also a sulfur character that you're usually going to get from a lot of the lager yeast that people use to make cream meals. Correct. Yep. And and this one was USO. You know, this is a Chico. So you got your USO five, your um, uh, WLP. What is it? Zero zero one California L. Your Y yeast ten fifty six ten fifty six. Imperial is there. 
Oh, no, is it Imperial House? Uh, Imperial's House, yes, thank you. But I think the big thing with uh, with using the multi-corner, if you haven't tried it in a cream ale, I think you're really missing out, especially with some of these craft brewers. And yes, it is a little bit more expensive um, to pick up, to use, but you're also looking at a low volume. And if you do get multi-corner, make sure the maltster mills it themselves because it's so hard that your, your own mill in your home brewery uh, is it, going to tear it up. Unless you have a Corona mill. And yes. that's exactly what Corona mills yeah, are made for. Exactly. But if you don't have a Corona mill, then definitely have the Mulster mill it for you. And you'll still have a good time frame on it. I, I have one hiding somewhere in my garage. All right. So, Caleb, you've been relatively quiet while we've been talking about your product and this beer. And uh, I also will note for the listeners that this beer is about two thirds of the way gone and I wasn't even paying attention. Any any thoughts or any, any, any ideas that you want to share with the, the audience? Yeah, I wish I was I wish I was drinking it with you guys right now. But um, but yeah, no, it's been I've had like I said, I've had I've had a variety of different styles made with malted corn and it's been. Uh, a really fun experience to, to malt the grain and then and then have and then taste that beer that's made with that grain in the, in the long run. Um, so yeah, no, I've I've enjoyed everything that's been made with it so far. Um, you know, you guys were talking about the the, the, the DMS kind of cream corn kind of flavor, and you know, from what I've had, it, it it's definitely like you said, it's got a corny corn flavor, but it's a different kind of corn flavor from from that melting and, and kilning process. It, it just makes this whole different kind of flavor character um, going into the beer. So it's been a really cool experience. Well, it feels more substantial to me. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I and mean, like if you, if you think like Cairo, right, and how, how that's very sweet, but it, it's sort of sickly sweet and just sort of disappears. This doesn't have that same sort of sweet corn type character to it. It's It, it plays, I think, better up against the malt than just regular corn does. Now, of course, again, that's not saying that uh, you shouldn't use regular corn in, in a beer. They have different purposes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was just thinking while while you were talking about, like, you know, having all the different beers that have been made with it, there is a very popular trend among some of these craft maltsters out there to go and have a little nano brewery on the farm. Yeah, it's already in the works. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Um, get, get people out to the farm, see how the see how the hay is made, and, uh, exactly. and enjoy beer. Yep. Yeah, we're already we've already got plans for that. Just trying to get everything put together for it. So, all right, and again, so uh, Sugar Creek is just outside of Indianapolis. Now, for everybody else who may not be in the Indiana or Midwest region, how can they get their hands on all these wonderful varieties of malts that you've been talking about, like lavender smoke malt, really? And of course, this malted corn that we're having right now. Where uh, where can the uh, average home brewer go to go get that? So we sell through for home brewers. We sell through two different spots: uh, Great Fermentations uh, through their online store. Um, they carry about ten to fifteen different styles of our malts um, there. Um, so you can get it through there, or you can go onto our website, um, which is sugarcreekmalt.com, uh, and go to the uh, home home brewing provisions tab, and you can order uh, whatever we have in stock at that time. We've got on online there. Um, we sell in. Um, 10, 20, 10 pound, 25 pound, and 55 uh, pound increments, and you, we can we can pre-mill it for you or not also. So, As a reminder with the malted corn, unless you have access to a Corona mill or a really hearty sort of mill like that, this is one place where I would say go and get it pre-milled. Yeah, definitely get the corn pre-milled unless you've got a, a real beefy mill yourself. So, uh, One thing I would like to add in here, uh, Drew, real quick, is 
the amount of varieties that he has, but what the cool thing when I was up there and visited Kayla, we were, I was only there for about 20 minutes. Uh, we're on some time restrictions there, but the really cool thing was majority of everything from sugar Creek comes from the family farm, whether it's the wood, I mean, the grain, he, there is some contracts that he does, uh, for backups, Caleb, that I think you should talk about possibly, but majority, like 70%, I think is what you said, Caleb, is grown by your family. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the, um, all of the corn that we sell, any corn that we grow is, is grown by us. The Edelweiss, which is our, our, our Hannah malt that we've brought back, that one's grown by us. Rye is grown by us. Wheat, red wheat, us, white wheat is not, um, red wheat is, and then the barley, usually about, um, you know, 30 to 60% of our barley that we malt throughout the year is grown right on our farm, right, right in the back, you know, right, right in our county. Um, we, we have, like you said, we have other contract growers that grow for us. We do that for, uh, really one main reason, just to diversify our crop production so that, um, we have quality grain every year. You know, I learned very quickly, uh, that Indiana is not the perfect growing climate every year. Some years it does great. Some years we have issues. So, um, so we learned, uh, quality has to be number one um so quality has to be number one and and locality has to be number two um but you know we've never never malted at our malt house um never had never malted any total production under 50 percent um indiana grown grains um it's always been usually just 70 to 90 percent indiana grown grains and with that uh, majority of that a lot of that coming from our farm so now that's great and people will know we've uh, touted on this program many, many times before. Go enjoy some local grains. Go enjoy your local uh, maltster because you get different characters out of these things. And I think that it's actually very important. As much as I love the malt that I get from Great Western, as much as I love the stuff you can get from Brees or RAR or Best or Wireman, all that, you know, it's a very sort of uniform character. It's going to be sort of not targeted necessarily to people with idiosyncratic or off-centered sort of points of view about beer. Your local craft monster is going to be able to give you something that is unique. Yeah. I mean, every, it's, it comes back to, you know, number one, growing regions, number two, the varieties that we're growing and number three, just the way that our, our process and our, our outlook on how we malt, you know, every, every Pilsner that you drink is, is different. You know, it's the same style of beer, uh, but everybody makes it differently. Same thing with malt. You know, you can, you can, you can all have Pilsner malt and, and Pilsner malt from every malt house is going to have its own flavors. So again, uh, folks, you can go look for Sugar Creek at Great Fermentations or on their website. We'll include links to both of those in the show notes. And of course, we'll also include links to the Jenny recipe so that you can go and try it your own way. And so in the meanwhile, Caleb, thank you. I appreciate the fact that you got us uh, the ability to be able to play around with a new ingredient and a new tool. I love it. And I really like the impact this corn had on the on the beer. And uh, Ryan, thank you for making the beer and getting it out to us. So we will talk later and obviously revisit more of this because now I've got some new ideas to go pursue. <laughs> Enjoy. All right. Well, thank you, guys. Thank you, Drew, for, for uh, putting all this together. Thank you, Caleb, for letting me visit. Yeah, I'd love to have you back down. If you're coming back down and when I have a little more time, I'd love to show you around, especially like if it's, you know, our, our barley is being grown. The best time to come see barley is like late May to early June. So if you're ever in the area that time, feel free to swing by and I'll show you some barley fields. Yeah, for sure. Because one of the great things about 
you know, me being here in St. Louis is it's on the way. It's it's a little yeah. bit off the track, but it's it was really cool. Uh, I didn't add that much to the drive time, but it was really neat to go up there and see the operation and and to see everything. And what listeners might or might not want to know is uh, there was also a piggy that's getting ready to give birth. So (laughs) the circle of life on a farm. Yeah. The the farm life and and my wife and daughter or my wife, she just wanted to get out and play with the goats. And I'm like, no. (laughs) Yeah. Well, when it's nice out and and your daughter's a little bit older uh, next year, maybe you guys can do that. So (laughs) no, I plan on stopping there every trip that we go North is to swing by sugar Creek and see, and, Hopefully we'll have a brewery in the next year or two that you can actually sit down and have a beer too. So Ah, that'd be fantastic. Thank you everyone for joining us on another episode of the brew files. We hope that you enjoyed this look at malted corn and the glimpse of the other products from sugar Creek. I have to admit, I didn't think malted corn would make that big of a difference, but I'm actually sold in Ryan's version of my Jenny cream. The malted corn added depth without making it heavier. Highly recommend this. And now, of course, I'll have to take a hand at making a corn malt saison. Because why wouldn't I? Remember, if you have show ideas, styles, brewers, techniques, ingredients, etc., you can drop us a line at podcast at experimentalbrew.com. You can reach us at denny at experimentalbrew.com or drew at experimentalbrew.com. You can find us on Twitter at EXP Brewing, on Instagram, on Facebook, on Reddit, and just about every homebrew forum out there. And, of course, you can always find us at www.experimentalbrew.com. Don't forget... We're coming up on our 144th show, the main show, so we need your questions. So send those in at podcast at experimentalbrew.com. And don't forget, you can support the podcast by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. Click the HA, Amazon, Brewers, Friends, BYO links on the website, and by going to Patreon and pledging a buck or two or more to our charitable cause, which for this part of the year is Project Freedom Ride, an organization dedicated to taking dogs from areas where they might be euthanized to places where they'll find loving homes. So remember to give us a buck so we can fly some more pooches in the skies. Until next time, remember the brew is out there, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Brew Files. This episode is brought to you by the American Homebrewers Association, a group of more than 40,000 individuals from more than 70 countries who share a passion for brewing and enjoying great beer. Learn more at homebrewersassociation.org. 